Section 48 of The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 4 by James Boswell, Section 48. He requested three things of Sir Joshua Reynolds to forgive him thirty pounds which he had borrowed of him to read the bible and never to use his pencil on a sunday Footnote. sir walter scott says that reynolds observed the charge given him by johnson on his deathbed not to use his pencil of a sunday for a considerable time but afterwards broke it being persuaded by some person who was impatient for a sitting that the doctor had no title to exact such a promise. Reynolds used to say that the pupil in art who looks for the Sunday with pleasure as an idle day will never make a painter. Dr. Johnson, said Lord Eldon, sent me a message on his deathbed to request that I would attend public worship every Sunday. The advice was not followed, for when a lawyer a warm partisan of the chancellor called him one of the pillars of the church no said another lawyer he may be one of its buttresses but certainly not one of its pillars for he is never found within it lord campbell says lord eldon was never present at public worship in london from one year's end to the other pleading in mitigation before lord ellenborough that he attended public worship in the country he received the rebuke as if there were no god in town End of sir joshua readily acquiesced Footnote. reynolds records during his last illness when all hope was at an end he appeared to be quieter and more resigned his approaching dissolution was always present to his mind. A few days before he died, Mr. Langton and myself only present, he said he had been a great sinner, but he hoped he had given no bad example to his friends, that he had some consolation in reflecting that he had never denied Christ, and repeated the text, Whoever denies me, etc., we were both very ready to assure him that we were conscious that we were better and wiser from his life and conversation, and that so far from denying Christ, he had been in this age his greatest champion. End of Indeed, he showed the greatest anxiety for the religious improvement of his friends, to whom he discoursed of its infinite consequence. He begged of Mr. Houle to think of what he had said and to commit it to writing, and upon being afterwards assured that this was done, pressed his hands and in an earnest tone thanked him. Dr. Brocklesby, having attended him with the utmost assiduity and kindness as his physician and friend, he was peculiarly desirous that this gentleman should not entertain any loose, speculative notions, 
but be confirmed in the truths of Christianity, and insisted on his writing down in his presence, as nearly as he could collect it, the import of what passed on the subject. And Dr. Brocklesby having complied with the request, he made him sign the paper, and urged him to keep it in his own custody as long as he lived. Footnote, Hannah Moore says that Johnson, having put up a fervent prayer that Brocklesby might become a sincere Christian, caught hold of his hand with great earnestness and cried, Doctor, you do not say Amen. The doctor looked foolishly, but after a pause cried, Amen. Her account, however, is often not accurate. End of footnote. Johnson, with that native fortitude which, amidst all his bodily distress and mental sufferings, never forsook him, asked Dr. Brocklesby, as a man in whom he had confidence, to tell him plainly whether he could recover. Give me, said he, a direct answer. The doctor, having first asked him if he could bear the whole truth, which way soever it might lead, and being answered that he could, declared that in his opinion he could not recover without a miracle. Then, said Johnson, I will take no more physic, not even my opiates, for I have prayed that I may render up my soul to God unclouded. In this resolution he persevered, and at the same time used only the weakest kinds of sustenance. Being pressed by Mr. Wyndham to take somewhat more generous nourishment, this too lower diet should have the very effect which he dreaded by debilitating his mind, he said, I will take anything but inebriating sustenance. Footnote. Wyndham records that on the night of the twelfth he urged him to take some sustenance, and desisted only upon his exclaiming, It is all very childish. Let us hear no more of it. On his pressing him a second time, he answered that he refused no sustenance, but inebriating sustenance. Wyndham thereupon asked him to take some milk, but he recurred to his general refusal, and begged that there might be an end of it. I then said that I hoped he would forgive my earnestness, when he replied eagerly that for me nothing will be necessary by way of apology, adding with great fervour in words which I shall, I hope, never forget, God bless you, my dear Wyndham, through Jesus Christ, and concluding with a wish that we might meet in some humble portion of that happiness which God might finally vouchsafe to repentant sinners. These were the last words I ever heard him speak. I hurried out of the room with tears in my eyes, and more affected than I had been on any former occasion. It was at a later hour in this same night that Johnson scarified himself in three places. On Mr. Desmoulins making a difficulty of giving him the lancet, he said, don't you, if you have any scruples, but I will compel Frank. 
and on Mr. Damerlang's attempting to prevent Frank from giving it to him, and at last to restrain his hands, he grew very outrageous, so much so as to call Frank scoundrel, and to threaten Mr. Damerlang's that he would stab him. End of footnote. The Reverend Mr. Strawn, who was the son of his friend, and had been always one of his great favourites, had, during his last illness, the satisfaction of contributing to soothe and comfort him. That gentleman's house at Islington, of which he is vicar, afforded Johnson occasionally and easily an agreeable change of place and fresh air, and he attended also upon him in town in the discharge of the sacred offices of his profession. Mr. Strawn has given me the agreeable assurance that after being in much agitation, Johnson became quite composed and continued so until his death. Footnote. Mr. Strawn, mentioning the anxious fear which seized Johnson, says that his friends who knew his integrity observed it with equal astonishment and concern. He adds that his foreboding dread of the divine justice by degrees subsided into a pious trust and humble hope in the divine mercy. End of footnote. Dr. Brocklesby, who will not be suspected of fanaticism, obliged me with the following accounts. For some time before his death, all his fears were calmed and absorbed by the prevalence of his faith and his trust in the merits and propitiation of Jesus Christ. He talked often to me about the necessity of faith in the sacrifice of Jesus as necessary beyond all good works, whatever, for the salvation of mankind. He pressed me to study Dr. Clarke and to read his sermons. I asked him why he pressed Dr. Clarke, an Arian. Because, said he, he is the fullest on the propitiatory sacrifice. Footnote. The change of his sentiments with regard to Dr. Clarke is thus mentioned to me in a letter from the late Dr. Adams, Master of Pembroke College, Oxford. The doctor's prejudices were the strongest, and certainly in another sense the weakest, that ever possessed a sensible man. You know his extreme zeal for orthodoxy, but did you ever hear what he told me himself? that he had made it a rule not to admit Dr. Clarke's name in his dictionary. This, however, wore off. At some distance of time he advised with me what books he should read in defence of the Christian religion. I recommended Clarke's Evidences of Natural and Revealed Religion as the best of the kind, and I find, in what is called his prayers and meditations, that he was frequently employed in the latter part of his time in reading Clarke's sermons. Boswell. End of footnote. Johnson, having thus in his mind the true Christian scheme, at once rational and consolatory, uniting justice and mercy in the divinity with the improvement of human nature, Previous to his receiving the Holy Sacrament in his apartment, 
composed and fervently uttered this prayer almighty and most merciful father i am now as to human eyes it seems about to commemorate for the last time the death of thy son jesus christ our saviour and redeemer grant o lord that my whole hope and confidence may be in his merits and thy mercy enforce and accept my imperfect repentance make this commemoration available to the confirmation of my faith the establishment of my hope and the enlargement of my charity and make the death of thy son jesus christ effectual to my redemption have mercy upon me and pardon the multitude of my offences bless my friends have mercy upon all men support me by thy holy spirit in the days of weakness and at the hour of death and receive me at my death to everlasting happiness for the sake of jesus christ amen having as has already been mentioned made his will on the eighth and ninth of december and settled all his worldly affairs he languished till monday the thirteenth of that month when he expired about seven o'clock in the evening with so little apparent pain that his attendants hardly perceived when his dissolution took place of his last moments my brother thomas david has furnished me with the following particulars the doctor from the time that he was certain his death was near appeared to be perfectly resigned Footnote. the counterpart of johnson's end and of one striking part of his character may be found in mr fearing in the pilgrim's progress mr fearing was said honesty a very zealous man difficulty lions or vanity fair he feared not at all it was only sin death and hell that were to him a terror because he had some doubts about his interest in that celestial country i dare believe greatheart replied that as the proverb is he could have bit a firebrand had it stood in his way but the things with which he was oppressed no man ever yet could shake off with ease End of footnote. was seldom or never fretful or out of temper and often said to his faithful servant who gave me this account attend francis to the salvation of your soul which is the object of greatest importance he also explained to him passages in the scripture and seemed to have pleasure in talking upon religious subjects on monday the thirteenth of december the day on which he died a miss morris daughter to a particular friend of his called and said to francis that she begged to be permitted to see the doctor that she might earnestly request him to give her his blessing francis went into his room followed by the young lady and delivered the message the doctor turned himself in his bed and said god bless you my dear these were the last words he spoke his difficulty of breathing increased 
till about seven o'clock in the evening when mr barber and mrs desmoulins who were sitting in the room observing that the noise he made in breathing had ceased went to the bed and found he was dead footnote the following letter written with an agitated hand from the very chamber of death by mr langton and obviously interrupted by his feelings will not unaptly close the story of so long a friendship the letter is not addressed but mr langton's family believe it was intended for mr boswell my dear sir after many conflicting hopes and fears respecting the event of this heavy return of illness which has assailed our honoured friend dr johnson since his arrival from lichfield about four days ago the appearances grew more and more awful and this afternoon at eight o'clock when i arrived at his house to see how he should be going on i was acquainted at the door that about three-quarters of an hour before he breathed his last i am now writing in the room where his venerable remains exhibit a spectacle the interesting solemnity of which difficult as it would be in any sort to find terms to express so to you my dear sir whose own sensations will paint it so strongly it would be of all men the most superfluous to attempt to Kroger. the interruption of the note was perhaps due to a discovery made by langton hawkins says at eleven the evening of johnson's death mr langton came to me and in an agony of mind gave me to understand that our friend had wounded himself in several parts of the body to the dying man on the last day of his existence on this side the grave the desire of life to use murphy's words had returned with all its former vehemence in the hope of drawing off the dropsical water he gave himself these wounds he lost a good deal of blood and no doubt hastened his end langton must have suspected that johnson intentionally shortened his life End of about two days after his death the following very agreeable account was communicated to mr malone in a letter by the honourable john bing to whom i am much obliged for granting me permission to introduce it in my work dear sir since i saw you i have had a long conversation with causton footnote servant to the right honourable william wyndham boswell end of footnote who sat up with dr johnson from nine o'clock on sunday evening till ten o'clock on monday morning and from what i can gather from him it should seem that dr johnson was perfectly composed steady in hope and resigned to death at the interval of each hour they assisted him to sit up in his bed and move his legs which were in much pain when he regularly addressed himself to fervent prayer and though sometimes his voice failed him his senses never did during that time the only sustenance he received was cider and water he said his mind was prepared and the time to his dissolution seemed long at six in the morning he inquired the hour and on being informed 
said that all went on regularly and he felt he had but a few hours to live at ten o'clock in the morning he parted from Causton, saying you should not detain mr wyndham's servant i thank you bear my remembrance to your master Causton says that no man could appear more collected more devout or less terrified at the thoughts of the approaching minute this account which is so much more agreeable than and somewhat different from yours has given us the satisfaction of thinking that the great man died as he lived full of resignation strengthened in faith and joyful in hope a few days before his death he had asked sir john hawkins as one of his executors where he should be buried and on being answered doubtless in westminster abbey seemed to feel a satisfaction very natural to a poet and indeed in my opinion very natural to every man of any imagination who has no family sepulchre in which he can be laid with his fathers accordingly on monday december the twentieth his remains were deposited in that noble and renowned edifice and over his grave was placed a large blue flagstone with this inscription samuel johnson legum doctor obiit three decem die decembris anno domini mille duo de viginti octodinta quator aetatis sue septuaginta quinque his funeral was attended by a respectable number of his friends particularly such of the members of the literary club as were then in town and was also honoured with the presence of several of the reverend chapter of westminster mr burke sir joseph banks mr wyndham mr langton sir charles bunbury and mr colman bore his pole Footnote. sir joshua reynolds and paoli were among the mourners among the nichols papers in the british museum is preserved an invitation card to the funeral End of footnote. His schoolfellow, Dr. Taylor, performed the mournful office of reading the burial service. Footnote. Dr. Burney wrote to the Reverend T. Twining on Christmas Day, 1784, The Dean and Chapter of Westminster Abbey lay all the blame on Sir John Hawkins for suffering Johnson to be so unworthily interred. The knight's first inquiry at the abbey in giving orders, as the most acting executor, was what would be the difference in the expense between a public and private funeral, and was told only a few pounds to the prebendaries, and about ninety pairs of gloves to the choir and attendants. And he then determined that, as Dr. Johnson had no music in him, he should choose the cheapest manner of interment and for this reason there was no organ heard or burial service sung for which he suffers the dean and chapter to be abused in all the newspapers and joins in their abuse when the subject is mentioned in conversation burney mentions a report that hawkins had been slandering johnson 
Charles Burney, Jr., had written the day after the funeral, the executor, Sir John Hawkins, did not manage things well, for there was no anthem or choir service performed, no lesson, but merely what is read over every old woman that is buried by the parish. Dr. Taylor read the service, but so-so. End of footnote. I trust I shall not be accused of affectation when I declare that I find myself unable to express all that I felt upon the loss of such a guide, philosopher, and friend. Footnote. On the subject of Johnson, I may adopt the words of Sir John Harrington concerning his venerable tutor and diocesan, Dr. John Still, Bishop of Bath and Wells, who hath given me some helps more hopes, all encouragements in my best studies, to whom I never came, but I grew more religious, from whom I never went, but I parted better instructed. Of him, therefore, my acquaintance, my friend, my instructor, if I speak much, it were not to be marvelled. If I speak frankly, it is not to be blamed. And though I speak partially, it were to be pardoned. There is one circumstance in Sir John's character of Bishop Still which is peculiarly applicable to Johnson. He became so famous a disputer that the learnedest were even afraid to dispute with him, and he, finding his own strength, could not stick to warn them in their arguments to take heed to their answers, like a perfect fencer that will tell aforehand in which button he will give the venue, or like a cunning chess-player that will appoint aforehand with which pawn and in what place he will give the mate. Boswell. End of footnote. I shall therefore not say one word of my own, but adopt those of an eminent friend, which he uttered with an abrupt felicity, superior to all studied compositions, he has made a chasm which not only nothing can fill up, but which nothing has a tendency to fill up. Johnson is dead, let us go to the next best. There is nobody. No man can be said to put you in mind of Johnson. Footnote. His death, writes Hannah Moore, makes a kind of era in literature. One who had long known him said of him, In general, you may tell what the man to whom you are speaking will say next. This you can never do of Johnson. End of footnote. End of section 48.